I think when we talk about this opioid epidemic, obviously the attempts that we've made to try and control it or stem it or save lives have failed miserably at every level of government, uh, pretty much right across the country. Maybe some are having slightly more success, but overall, uh, we're still seeing Canadians lose their lives at an alarming rate each and every single day. Um, the discussion has become largely political in a lot of circles and a lot very ideological. Um, so let's get rid of that for the next half hour and let's talk science. Let's talk medicine. Let's talk about what we know in terms of evidence-based approaches, what works, what doesn't. We're going to start our discussion with Dr. Meldon Cahan, who is the Medical Director of Substance Use Service at the Women's College Hospital in Toronto. Uh, his list of credentials goes on much, much, much longer than that. I could sit here and fill the next half hour telling you about all his credentials, but um, Dr. Cahan, s- suffice to say you are recognized as one of the foremost experts in addiction medicine, certainly in country, in our country, if not around the world. So I, I really appreciate you taking some time with us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate that. When we talk about um, opioids, the overdose epidemic, um, there is robust science around this, right? It's not like we're operating in the dark. There is evidence-based treatment that we know about, and there is science surrounding this, correct? Absolutely. Uh, By far the most evidence-based treatment is opiate agonist treatment, and that uses medications called methadone or buprenorphine. So... These two medications are both opiates. Uh, they're they're uh, very different, though, than, than heroin in that they uh, uh, take a long time to act and they last the whole day. So when given in the appropriate dose to someone who uses opiates, they don't get euphoric, they don't get high, uh, they just feel normal. It relieves withdrawal symptoms and cravings. And the two medications are dispensed in a controlled way so that they, they can't inject them and they can't sell them, uh, they can't uh, uh, divert them. They just uh, take them every day. They feel normal and they can get on with their lives. There's This has been the most studied uh, treatment probably of any kind anywhere. Um, multiple randomized trials, uh, cohort studies involving tens of thousands of patients, and it does work. It reduces overdose death. Uh, and it keeps people functioning and doing well, keeps them out of prison and keeps them out of hospital. Okay, so the science says that the agonist approach is is probably our best way to go. Now let's talk about some of the other things that we constantly hear about. Um, Safe supply is something that has really become a big topic of discussion, uh, and basically that is providing not the medications you're talking about, but, um, you know, hydromorphone or or something like that to addicts, correct? What, what, What does the science tell us about safe supply? Right. Well, the idea of safe supply is that uh, people are using fentanyl. Fentanyl is highly potent. It's lethal. It's often contaminated with drugs. So safe supply says, well, let's give people a safe pharmaceutical alternative. We know uh, its potency. Uh, They could use this instead of that. Uh, And... uh, Really, uh, I, the, the problem with the safe supply approach is not hydromorphone per se. Hydromorphone can work just as well as methadone or, or buprenorphine uh, if it's uh, administered in the same way, that is, supervised dosing. The problem is that hydro, uh, safe supply practitioners are giving large amounts of these tablets to patients uh, to take home, uh, often with instructions on how to inject them. 
Hmm. And this, at least the evidence suggests that this is harmful. It's harmful to the patient. It's harmful to the public. So the patient is given maybe uh, 30 tablets of 8 milligram hydromorphone tablets to take home. Maybe they go to the pharmacy to pick it up. Uh, once a day, maybe they go once a week. Uh, they uh, inject it at home. They don't use zero technique, even if they've been instructed on it. They get uh, serious bacterial infections, uh, such as endocarditis or sepsis or bone infections, uh, or uh, they sell their tablets and they sell them to others so that they're expanding the illicit drug market. They're giving uh, it or selling it to their neighbors, to their cousin, to people they meet at the pharmacy. Uh, so it gets the, out there in the street. And this is so harmful. Uh, it's making the drug crisis worse, not better. Um, safe consumption sites. Where does the science fall on that one? I think that they're a good idea, generally speaking. Uh, I think that it's uh, the, the, there is some evidence that people who inject in a safe consumption site are not going to die because there are people around to revive them. Right. It is an opportunity also to connect them with, uh, you know, with health care, with opiate agonist treatment if they're interested. Yeah, I think generally speaking, supervised consumption sites are a good idea. Okay, and uh, in our province, the government is focusing primarily on treatment, which I think nobody would disagree is, is a great idea, adding treatment um, options and beds and things like that. That's something that's needed. Um, but do all these have to work together? There, there has to be a continuum. Uh, okay. there, there really does. I mean, uh, people who are, are injecting and they don't want to stop injecting and they're not interested in treatment, they absolutely they need uh, access to take-home naloxone and supervised consumption sites. When they're, if and when they're ready to stop, and, and often that just happens suddenly, they run out of money or their drug dealer is in jail or they want to visit their parents or they're feeling sick or they're in hospital, then they should be offered opiate agonist treatment immediately. And uh, uh, that is the, the, the best way we need to make opiate agonist treatment widely available, flexible. Uh, we also need to have protocols that are uh, able to cope with fentanyl because fentanyl is so potent that our standard dosing is not working as well as it should. So we need to be able to give methadone in combination with morphine, uh, for example, as a way of uh, relieving the withdrawal symptoms of cravings that patients get with fentanyl. Are there any jurisdictions that we can look to that have done this well and track what they've done and uh, employed in our country? Uh, I, I think that um, there, this fentanyl crisis is so new yeah. uh, that I think it, and so deadly that it has taken the public and the uh, addiction profession and the healthcare professionals has been totally shocking. It's like for an infectious disease doctor, it's like coronavirus. It's like something that comes along that we don't have any vaccine for or any treatment for. And there's been a lot of innovation, a lot of good things that have come out. I mean, even in Alberta, you're, uh, the virtual opiate dependency program is a brilliant idea where patients can call or people or families can call uh, at any time 
and get advice over the phone. And if they are interested in starting uh, opiate agonist treatment, they talk with a uh, prescriber, a nurse practitioner, or a physician uh, right away that day, and they can be fast to prescription near them to get going on it right away. That's the kind of innovative solutions we need. But I think we do need to have uh, we need to approach this crisis the same way that we approach coronavirus, that is, with a massive public health effort. I believe that every hospital, every emergency department, every primary care, every withdrawal management center, every prison should be able to offer uh, right away on-site opiate agonist treatment, uh, along with take-home naloxone and supervised consumption sites and all the other innovations that are there. Uh, and uh, we need also to have uh, prescribers, opiate prescribers, do a better job. Right now, there's a panic in the land about opiates, and you're getting family doctors cutting people off opiates mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and causing them to go into withdrawal and turn to the street. But we need uh, to have a, uh, a much stronger, more robust public health effort than we have to date. Dr. Kahn, I can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise and your insight. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Meldon Kahan, a foremost uh, leading expert around addiction medicine. And we have another one on hold. We're going to chat with Dr. Rob Tangay when we come back right after this. Continuing our discussion now around the opioid epidemic and what we can do to try and address it and the science behind what we know about opioid addiction and overdose. Joining us now, we have Dr. Robert Tangay, uh, who is another guy with a list of credentials that could fill the rest of this hour. Suffice to say, he's a psychiatrist. He is a professor at the University of Calgary in the Department of Psychiatry. He's on the Canadian Society of Addiction Medicine, the International Society of Addiction Medicine, a foremost leading expert when it comes to addiction. Dr. Tangay, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Well, Shay, thanks for having me. Uh, really an honor to follow up after Mel uh, and excited to chat. Yeah, when we uh, talk with Dr. Khan, it sounds to me like we're, we sort of get, I don't know if you want to call it silos, but we sort of get focused on one thing or the other as being the answer to this. And it sounds to me like it's going to take a much more fulsome approach and all of these things need to be involved. Yeah, without question. I, I think the only way we're going to get through this is if everybody's uh, all hands on deck. And as mentioned by by Mel, you know, looking at this like we look at COVID, I mean, it, it's fascinating to see the immediate response uh, that we had to COVID. Uh, and yet we're seeing massive loss of life of our youth uh, to overdoses and deaths, and we haven't seen that same kind of response, that same kind of uh, uh, funding and putting uh, money where mouth is. Yeah, so, okay, let's let's put you in charge here. Or you and the scientists <laughs> and all these other guys who are sort of taking a look at this and saying, you know what, there's some evidence over here that we can look at. Um, what do we do? What, what are we doing wrong? What should we be doing? What does the science and the evidence tell us we should be doing? Well, you know, I think if we look at what's been done so far, we've seen uh, a lot of coordinated uh, approaches. Uh, In Alberta, as uh, Mel had mentioned, our virtual ODP is world-leading. Our responses in the emergency departments where anybody who's struggling with uh, opioid addiction can go to an urgent care or emergency department and get started on uh, buprenorphine, naloxone, or suboxone. Uh, As mentioned by Mel, one of the uh, 
gold standard treatments for opioid use disorder uh, are uh, programs that are uh, involved across the province at reducing harm, uh, have been rolled out over the last several years to try to help those individuals, and now we're seeing a robust uh, increase in funding in Alberta towards treatment. Mm-hmm. Now what we've got to do is put all those things together. And right now, it's fairly uncoordinated where you have, you know, this not-for-profit doing its uh, supervised consumption services with no physicians, uh, no prescribing, uh, no therapy, no treatment. Um, and you've got, you know, this recovery center uh, that's the same way, no prescribing, no physicians. And so, you know, there's this artificial divide that a lot of people are talking about of harm reduction versus recovery capitalists. Uh, It's all artificial. And the reality is we're all here trying to help the same people uh, in a continuum of care, as as was mentioned. And that is the most important thing, a pathway for people to start where they access the system and work their way across the system into treatment, where treatment includes those opioid agonist treatments that are the gold standard. Well, Doc, it seems so obvious, right? I mean, a safe consumption site isn't going to help somebody who's in treatment, and a treatment facility isn't going to help somebody who's still out there on the street actively using and needs a safe consumption site. So you need to have a start and an end. They're not, every case will be different. You know, the treatment of addiction is a, is really a spectrum, and that spectrum starts at harm, uh, reducing the harm and introducing someone to medications that will reduce their risk of dying um, and working along a continuum to helping somebody taper off those same medications after doing trauma therapy, going through their mental health pieces, going through addiction counseling, and uh, really, you know, getting their lives back and starting uh, to, to feel a sense of, of uh, purpose and meaning, uh, and as they get to that point, helping them get off of those same medications. But, you know, in addiction medicine, we start at the first part of the continuum of just building a relationship and providing medications that will reduce their risk of death and moving with them along their continuum, their pathway uh, to healing and wellness. You know, Doc, and we're getting some texts from listeners saying, you know, by supplying these medications, you're just enabling them. You're just helping them. And I think Uh, people need to understand that you have to stop. I mean, those, they will find those drugs no matter what they have to, or they get sick. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a compulsion that they can't control. That's the whole point. So if you can remove that, now you open the doors to all kinds of other opportunities. Yeah, so it's it's a great comment, and, and we hear this a lot of, look, you know, I uh, pulled up my boots and I quit using whatever. Yeah. Opioids are a very different process in the addiction area. Now, addiction is a, a mental health disorder. It's something that hijacks the brain, but it's usually got roots, and those roots are in trauma and mental health. Uh, the opioids, the physiology of the opioids, look, I, I've worked uh, for the last several years helping chronic pain patients who no longer have pain or acute pain patients whose pain is resolved stop using opioids, not because they're, you know, quote-unquote addicted, but because of the dependency and the physiology of the drug. It is very hard to stop using it. 
And so, you know, having these medications like Suboxone or Methadone, which help people stabilize the physiology of the addiction, and then we have to work with them through the psychosocial and spiritual aspects of treatment, and then look at uh, slowly tapering them uh, with many of them coming to discontinuation after a full uh, course of treatment. But again, if that spectrum, that pathway, that continuum of care is fractured and there's holes in it where, you know, one group is saying, oh, no, all we do is allow people to use drugs here. We don't do treatment. And another group says, you know, if they relapse in any way, we're kicking them out and we're no longer working with them. There is the big fractures that we need to fix and where everybody is working in a continuum and working together. And starting that continuum, yeah. Uh, Doc, I wish we had a lot more time, but we'll do this again because I think there's a lot more we can get into, but I really appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and look forward to it. You bet. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jay. That is Dr. Robert Tange, who is um, with the Canadian Society of Addiction Medicine and a professor and a psychiatrist down in Calgary.